Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. There is a reason for which you exist and all things exist and consist. There is ultimate reality and it's only that that can satisfy the inner core of your being. So the first part of this message is for those that are new from any background throughout the world. I want you to know that you can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. That's ultimatemeaning.com, where you will find a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you with very unique answers and many of them that you will not have found anywhere else that have been given to me to share that answer some of the very hardest questions. And you will find in that flip book, a lot of print is highlighted in red, and those are links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archeology span that confirm the reality of what I am saying in this message, first of all to you, but we'll answer a lot more of your questions. If you are someone that is thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. If you're not, you're empty inside and you're trying to fill that vacuum and you will never be able to fill, fill it with what satisfies the inner core of your being until you face what is ultimate reality and receive that into your life into the very inner core of your being. You will know, assuredly then, more assuredly than anything else in your life, that you found what truly satisfies and is lasting and satisfaction forever. So I want to encourage all of those to go check out that Flip book and go to the links and see for yourself. But there's even a more amazing thing I've put up recently. It's a video. <laughs> Actually, there's a number of videos. The um, video that is most recent is titled David Thompson Rebuts Atheist Christopher Hitchens. And in that video, I have all kinds of links I go to to show you other videos supporting the reality of what I'm sharing and give a very thorough message. So I would encourage you to look at that message and the message that says David Thompson debates atheist Christopher Hitchens. That's maybe three down in the gallery there. That one gives a very good message, but it doesn't have all the videos like the most recent one I did that are all if you go onto the YouTube video, they're all listed with every timing point. There's probably about, I didn't count them, but there's probably about 20 or more timing points showing all the lies that you've been told that were t you were told were facts. In fact, they're still in all the educational books today and they know they're not fact, but they put them in there and talk like they are fact. Well, you check that out too. Okay. So this message that I want to introduce you to is 
to the one true eternal God. And there's only one quality that could be the one true eternal God. And that is a quality, the ultimate quality of the universe, which is a perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. I'm not talking about some trivial concept of love here. I'm talking about the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. And so I want to clarify what that is. Because it is the very source of reality and of all creation and the meaning for which you exist and all things exist. That ultimate manifestation perfection of love is first of all very pure. It has integrity. It will not condone the slightest that is contrary to love. But what is this love? It is a quality beyond feeling, which is in the Greek language of which the New Testament of the Bible is written in is filial, the feeling love, certainly beyond eros, which is sexual. No, this is a quality <coughs> that always innately and freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This is a quality that always chooses the highest lasting Of course, goodness, ultimate goodness, is able to harness unlimited authority, power, and life in a way that is fully constructive without the slightest corruption in it. This quality of love is the destroyer of corruption, and corruption is the destroyer of goodness. And of course, it can't overcome this perfection of love, but it can try to quench out that love in people's lives. You were created in the image of God. And there is a cry in your heart for eternity, for ultimate meaning and destiny, and don't let anyone quench that. That's a healthy dissatisfaction to have. This love is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this quality of love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It is very pure. It will not tolerate corruption. It will destroy corruption. Or it would no longer be love. It would cease to be love. Genuine love cannot condone what is contrary to love. And so that's the first aspect of this love that I'm describing. And it is represented in the negative symbol in math, in electronics, all of nature is filled with negatives and positives. And that negative symbol represents an indestructible foundation. It also represents cutting off all corruption. You see, God, when he created you, because God is love, he created you with the capacity to love. So he didn't create you like a robot where he just put information in and information output because that's all a robot is. It doesn't have the capacity to love even though you've got conceited people in AI technology that try to say it does. I have in a book that I've written 
called afterlife incredible, irrefutable quotes from highly qualified scientists. The go to videos, even in my flipbook, I believe they go there. Yes. If I remember right. They certainly do in the book I have on the afterlife. It's titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. You can purchase it on Amazon. It's a large 368 page paperback, six by nine, large paperback. You can get it on your on Kindle as on your digital devices. But I, it, it says in there, it points out top scientists saying how it's totally impossible for anything that man makes to have human consciousness and have love. In fact, the top AI technology today, in their conceit, they say, oh man, it's going to be taken over by machines. Oh, woe is me. Oh my. Man, you're so great that you have machines that are going to be greater than man. Really? In your little cells, there is highly complicated machinery that is irreducibly complex that could never evolve because it is irreducibly con complex and made like machinery. Far superior to any AI technology, doing functions far superior to any to AI technology. AI technology is child's play to what's happening in a little cell that you cannot even see. So I want to share with you that this is good news. God created you not as a machine, but as a self-originating free will being. And because you're self-originating and the creator of your own choices, you are self-responsible. And the beings that God creates that are self-originating, people blame God for creating the devil. He didn't create the devil. He created a being that was self-originating, that had the capacity to love, that made choices that went in rebellion against this ultimate perfection of love. Who is who God is? And I'm describing the first aspect of his love, the negative aspect, which isn't negative at all. It's the foundation of what allows for creation to go on without corruption in an ultimate destiny called heaven. But because you were created with a capacity to love, because God is love, and because love is the highest state of existence, and the most pleasurable state of existence, and the greatest source of creativity against the laws of corruption, or thermodynamics, or whatever you want to call it. He created you with the capacity to love and in that capacity, there's the potential to, to rebel against this ultimate perfection of love who is God. And when you rebel and disobey this love, you are cut off, represented in the negative symbol. And as you know, basically the law of thermodynamics said, says everything that is left on its own goes in the direction of disorder. Oh, I know if you want to be really refined scientifically that you would define thermodynamics more scientifically as molecules that become more and more spread out in their energization. But I am just speaking in a general observation of what thermodynamics is. 
because it is that as well. And that is the law of corruption. So when you bounce off in rebellion in the slightest against this ultimate reality, you're cut off, therefore you are left on your own, and you're going in a direction that is hell-contagious, that is destructive, where you can be manipulated by the temporal baits of things in this world that never satisfy by other powers over you that will use that to manipulate you, and the powers of darkness that are over them that use these things to manipulate your life in a path of destruction. But God's ultimate purpose isn't to leave you cut off from him, even though you've rebelled against him. His ultimate purpose is to bring you back into reconciliation with himself and to be restored in fellowship with your Creator. And how does that happen? Well, this love has an ulti- it, another aspect to it. It's perfection I've just described. But in its perfection, it is ultimately manifested in this that God is so great that he could take judgment upon himself and absorb it on your behalf and on the behalf of all that have rebelled against him and not be corrupted himself by absorbing it. I'm talking about creatures such as yourself that are human beings. Oh, I could go into explaining why the angels are in a different situation. Our rebellion, in a sense, is indirect because it's through the physical body that we are tempted so that our rebellion is indirect through the physical body. But the angels stand right in the direct flow of the presence of the Spirit of God and experience the pleasure of his love. And to rebel against the direct flow of the Spirit of God leaves no redemption. No ability to be reconciled to God because you've gone directly against him. But God created us such that we could choose to be turned back to him and to be forgiven because his love is so great that he came into this world in the center of history and condescended We just celebrated Christmas, the great condescension of God, that he is so great that he can also humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, as he did on the cross in Jesus Christ. In order that you could choose, so that you could choose to repent and ask God for forgiveness and cleansing of sin and make him the central treasure of your life and be restored to him. And you can. And so this is good news that you can be reconciled to God. Now, some people will say, oh, God, how dare you make God like a little creature that would do that for us? Pardon me. You've got a very limited concept of God to think that he's not great enough to communicate with his creation and not great enough in his love to be able to be that great that he could reconcile his creation unto himself 
through becoming a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice as he did on the cross? Oh, some people, they believe when you talk about Jesus, the Son of God, oh, that means you believe in three gods. No, we don't. For God to inhabit the three ultimate aspects of existence and to rule over them and in them three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation in omnipresence, he must be in three personages. If he wasn't in consciousness, in personage, consciousness and intelligence in those three ultimate aspects of existence, he wouldn't be ruling over them or in them. So God as the Father, Father meaning originator, rules beyond the creation realm and is separate and above and greater and beyond it and is the source of the creation realm, seeing the end from the beginning and knowing ahead of time all that will happen before it happens, the slightest little atom, every single little particle, he knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. The Son is the perfection of the being of God's love expressed. The word Son means expression. Jesus Christ is the one and only expression of God that came into this world to communicate with man. And much more than that, his death was foretold over a thousand years ago and many different scriptures written in the Bible, foretelling, and he fulfilled every detail of that, came true. He rose from the dead, was seen by 500, four, four, pardon me, four lawyers who sought to write books, went about to write books to disprove the resurrection of Christ, and found the evidence so convincing and amazing that they were converted in the process. One, for example, is Lee Strobel. I don't remember the names of all the others. And here's the thing. It isn't like God um, did this when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and at that point in history. What about the people before Christ came? Yes, there was still the same message from the very beginning of time, from the time of Adam and Eve. There was one message, and that is that there is only one God and that he has the power to forgive and that you can repent and choose to ask him for mercy and forgiveness and he will forgive you. And so, you know, from the time of Adam and Eve, they would take such as an innocent lamb and lay their hands on it and slay it. That was a symbol of their sin being transferred to the lamb and it was slain for their sin. But they knew the animal didn't forgive their sin. God was the source of forgiveness. As it says in the Old Testament, Mike in 6, even if you gave your child as a sacrifice unto God, it would not be enough to atone you for your sin. And God is great enough to communicate with his creation. He did it. Many examples of it are in the Old Testament, such as Genesis 18, where Abraham was at his tent tore in the heat of the day. <clears throat> he sees three men standing before him and runs to them. Probably they look very majestic. 
bows to him and says, can I make a really good meal for you? In essence, he says that. And he gets his servant to make a meal for them. And they sit down and they eat. And he addresses one of those three angels as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God, which basically means the ultimate reality, separate above and beyond creation. The I am that I am. You can read about that in Genesis 18, and there's many other examples of like that in the Old Testament. And yes, it was a reality in God even before he created the world that he came and died on the cross through Jesus Christ. It was not just a capacity. It actually, it went, God is beyond time. It was a reality in God before the world was created. And you can read in the Bible, it says that the Lamb of God, referring to Jesus Christ, was slain before the foundation of the world or before the creation of the world. It was in the infinite past because God has no beginning. He is the ultimate order. Oh, I could go into pointing out that evolutionists believe in evolution well, take evolution to its ultimate maximum because you've got an infinite past and you believe in survival of the fittest. Therefore, there should have been something that evolved in another dimension. Or even if it was in this dimension, it certainly wouldn't have been when there's highly complex organized systems that can do sexual reproduction. It would be something way before then. It would have resulted in the ultimate, only one ultimate being of superintelligence. It would be the maximum of what I'm describing here. And it would have swallowed up the need for evolution to have existed because it would have had power over time and chance and all the laws of the universe. So that in, so that in fact, evolution never did exist. And of course, it is a lie. And you'll find that out by watching the videos I referred you to. It's a total lie. It's a mastery of deception. It's amazing. You find out how you've been lied to. And so the good news that I am sharing here is that you can be reconciled to God. All you need to do is from the depths of your being cry out unto God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask you to cleanse me of all my sins and to forgive me. And I make you the Lord of my life, the, the, the central treasure of my life. I ask that you would come and dwell in me and I choose to now forsake the loves of the world and put you first. Give me the strength to do that. And you begin your journey, your pilgrimage to heaven. And the circumstances of this world will be used to mold you and to unravel the areas of deception and things that are not of God as you go on in a life of much prayer and seeking him. So this is good news, and that's my introduction to those that are new, I want you to know that there is good news. And only what I am describing here is who the one true God could be. Only an ultimate perfection of love as I have just described. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power and authority and life without being corrupted by all of that or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicating him to be the very source. And he's wanting you. He loves you 
you wouldn't believe. People have <laughs> highly verified to have been dead. And this book I described, like Dean Braxton, look him up on YouTube. Dean Braxton, type in MDE, standing for near-death experiences. And the word Dean Braxton, one example. And there's Dale Black, and there's many others. You think they're lying when they fear God about what they experienced? Dean Braxton, when he experienced entering heaven in a dimension that's far superior to the physical dimension, in so much so that one person said that dimension is like 2D paper or 2D dimension being compared to the 3D. That's how much greater that dimension is than the 3D physical dimension. And when Dean Braxton was standing before Jesus Christ, he says the love was so intense that there's no way in this physical realm you could describe it. And he knew that if he was the only one that was created by God, that Jesus Christ, God in Jesus Christ, would have come and humbled himself more than him and mere creature and suffered more than him and mere creature so that he could choose to repent and be reconciled to God and have this love relationship with God. That's how much God loved him and loves those that choose to repent and receive his love instead of to rebel against it. How can one resist such love? Oh, this is good news. Oh, the, so, there's the empirical scientific evidence for life after death is greater than anything else. Do I have time? You read the book about it and find out. Yeah, I don't have a star rating or anything because I didn't advertise my book or do what I should have. But I'll tell you, it's, I've read the bestseller on Life After Death, and I, I know my book has a lot more answers and is, to me, a lot more interesting. So you can give me a review after you read it, if you want, on the um, links, if you get a digital one. So, for those that have come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, I want to briefly share with you how I do these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that's what I will seek to do in this message. I will seek to allow God to speak through me, and that should be the norm in every church service when we come to gather around Jesus Christ, is that each member of the body should be seeking to let God speak through them, to pour out their love, not only to God in worship, but to one another in words that are coming from God, that are allowing God to speak through us. Another verse that explains this more is in Revelations 19.10, where it says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, from a pure heart and great humility and reverence and love for God, as believers, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow that can result in creative utterances beyond our own intellect, flowing through us by the spirit of God, by revelation that we're catching of what we're seeing in the eye of our hearts, so to speak. And it comes out, and it can come out as a beautiful song or a prayer 
or word of knowledge or of prophecy or whatever. And so I will see, like it says in that verse, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies to the reality of Jesus Christ is when we worship God, as I described. <clears throat> when we do, we will speak. If we speak out of the spirit of worship, out of a heart set and a mindset of worship, God is released to speak prophetically through us. And so that's what I will seek to do is to seek to allow God to speak through me what he is saying to the body of Christ, to the churches, especially in the United States <coughs> and in Canada where I am. Slight cough still, but I'm well over it now from what was probably influenza about five weeks ago or four weeks ago. So I want to... Um, share with you what I received. I also cast lot to receive a worship song, and it is very appropriate to the message that I'm going to be sharing. I do cast lots to facilitate speaking prophet prophetically before God, to get two chapters each day of the week, that those two chapters might bear witness with each other as to what God is saying through those two chapters to the body of Christ. I meditate on them for about a half an hour, that's all. So I did that today. And so I will speak probably on that chapter and touch on the other chapters I received this week as it's too much for me to do more than one video a week at this point in time and what I am doing in my life. If I had lots of finances, I would want to be starting to do a lot more. Uh, right now, I have, I'm fine financially, but don't have the resources beyond, you know, just meeting basic needs to do anything like get a building or anything else at this point in time. Maybe my book will take off in the near future, some other things that I'm doing on the internet. However, I do want to share with you the worship song now that I received by the casting of Lot Before God. Some of the song, this comes from my website. I have 150 there that you can use on an overhead projector if it's connected to the internet. You have speakers. These are high quality songs that are far better than the typical modern songs that you hear today that don't have a lot of meaning and depth, generally speaking. There's always the exceptional songs that are modern that are good here and there, but many of them are not. They don't have depth and meaning. There's these people that always want to have you license them because they want to make money and all this other stuff. It's sad that there's all that happening. When the congregation should be moving in creativity and facilitating the creativity that comes out of loving God and loving one another and having the freedom. And if we really love God the way we should, we wouldn't limit God from moving through each member in the body of Christ in the meetings. And I could share a lot more on that. I have a book on that also. You can get, you can check out the link on my website. I have an author link there with my books. It's called God, Headship, and Body Invasion and everything you can do in your assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. It's called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. These are some older covers of the book. Again, many suggestions to what you can do in your local congregation 
If you do these things in the body of Christ at this hour across the United States, you will conquer your nation. This is more important than anything else to conquer your nation and save it from judgment and from destruction. It is when the body of Christ rises up and becomes his house of prayer and holiness. And it's time to wake up, body of Christ, now and never go back to having church the way you used to. And I would love to talk about all of that, but I don't, for time, want to do that right at this point of time and probably won't in this message. You can check it out. I am going to go now to the worship song I received by the casting of Lot from the 150 songs I have on my website, and I will minimize myself soon. So just hold on here, and we'll get this going. This isn't one of the greatest of those songs, but... The words are very appropriate. It's obvious to me that God chose the right song here. By the casting of Lot, by the way. Here we go.
wonderful, wonderful. How wonderful. I remember when I was young and God drew me at a young age to go into the woods and pray for an hour and a half around 14 years old, and I did that consistently back then. I remember what drew me. I sensed what was mentioned in the song, the life of God's indwelling presence in me. And I could sense other things that would cause an emptiness in my being. I would watch the television. It was just gray and white, if I remember back then. And I'd watch it, and I would feel an emptiness. But then I would feel the drawing towards life. I could sense it, this inner satisfaction, this river. You know, Christ says in the Word of God, he says, whoever believes with their life into me, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That is a real experience that happens when people truly cry but the depths of their being from their heart and allow their pride to be broken and cry out to him for mercy and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and ask him for cleansing and forgiveness and to be the central treasure of their lives. A love slave to love who is who God is. There's nothing more wonderful because love is the very source of life of life that is so satisfying. Now, I'm not talking about a physical river, but you do often experience a literal feeling, a soothing feeling of the presence in a very physical way of the presence of God in your inner being many times. Now, we don't trust in feelings, and we don't put feelings before truth and reality, but as we learn to trust in God and put him first, and make those moral persuasive choices with our inner being to turn to him, then our being is open like an open hand to receive his presence. And when his presence is received the first time when we're born again, notice when his spirit comes into a state of being that is in selfless trust, which can only be in the true God, the presence of God comes now, the hand can't close, and you have the seed of a new divine nature. And we'll be talking about that as I turn now to the passages that I received this week from God. <clears throat> so I will be going to those passages of Scripture now that I received. Now, today I received by the casting of a lot. Today is Saturday, December the 30th of 2023. <clears throat> And I received by lot what I recently received in a message I gave, I think two messages ago. It's either one or two messages ago. I think it's two messages ago. I received First John chapter 5. Well, I received it today again. And I also received Jude chapter 1. And the common theme in these two chapters, as you can see here, and I, is a clarification of the genuine salvation of those who claim to be the people of God, but reveal by their life that they are not. The solution to be careful that we do not fall into apostasy and lose our salvation is to build up ourselves 
in the most holy faith through prayer on the Holy Spirit. So that's a summarization, summar, summarization of what I received out of these two chapters, Jude chapter 1 and 1 John 5. <coughs> and so I do want to, even though I've gone through this before, go through this passage again because it's what God gave. I forbear to go and share what's in the other chapters at this point because I know how easy it is for me to be drawn into those chapters in the Spirit of God and to begin speaking from them. So maybe I will touch on all the other chapters a little, little later. But in 1 John 5, we read this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God or brought forth of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, we're just talking about God the Father, loveth him that is begotten of him, which is referring to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, Jesus Christ said that he is the I am that I am. He made that clear when you read the Gospel of John, and I think it is particularly there in the Gospel of John as John recorded, and the Pharisees are asking, well, who do you say you are? And he says, I am. He's referring to him being Yahweh, because Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God in the Old Testament, it's also pronounced Jehovah by some, but that's not as accurate. Actually, if you read the King James, you've got the word Lord God that's used, and often when that's used, the word Lord in the original Hebrew is Yahweh, and the word for God is Elohim, which literally means the Almighty's, which is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's the ultimate reality, Almighty's, which obviously I have explained who that is. <coughs> so Jesus Christ is also Yahweh, as much as God the Father is, and God the Holy Spirit is those are just the three aspects of the person, the three personages of the one true eternal God in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, as I mentioned. And we read this, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments, so, can we love God if we have an idolatrous perception of God? No. The only way we can love God is if we are brought forth anew of the Spirit of God, which is further explained <coughs> further down in this chapter. Pardon, there's still a slight tickling in my throat at times. <coughs> Probably need a bit of drink of water to take care of that. In fact, I'm going to do something else to take care of that right now. So, we cannot genuinely love those that are the true children of God, unless 
we first of all ourselves are brought forth in you the spirit which only happens when we have choose to have a right perception of god as i described at the beginning of this message we acknowledge that the holiness of god is good which is the integrity of his love that will not tolerate what's contrary to love love being that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good you see the holiness of god is basically what I'm describing. It is the purity of God's love. And when we really see who God is and His holiness, we don't have a mindset that says, blames God for all the suffering we see around us. I mean, it's easy to get your focus on all the suffering. There's a lot of suffering in this world. It looks very dismal indeed and so we can get our eyes on all the suffering in our own lives and say well why did God allow this and attribute to God corruption by our attitude maybe intellectually we're saying oh we don't believe oh we really respect God we would never attribute to him corruption but in our heart there's unthankfulness and we're questioning why God is allowing what he's allowing in our lives and in the world around us. And when that happens, we're not abiding in his love. We're forgetting that the consequences of all that we see in our own lives and all around us is our own choices that have bounced off that ultimate reality out of a wrong attitude towards God by choosing to be independent from him, by choosing not to acknowledge him as our life source. And so the first perception of God is in receiving rightly that he is good in his holiness and not perceiving him as some dictator that demands appeasement and sacrifice and things in order to be appeased because he's all you're seeing is him powerful but you're not seeing that the only quality that can hold unlimited power in life is love because anything less than this ultimate perfection of love would not be able to hold unlimited power in life without itself destructing the source that is holding it So when we love God, the first aspect of loving God is that we acknowledge who he is in his holiness and we're in absolute awe and reverence of him. And that is what it means to genuinely fear God. It means to genuinely first be receptive to the fact that he is just and right and pure and that he is not the author of anything that is corrupt or evil. He's the source of only what is good. He created beings with the capacity to love that allows for that to be the case with our wrong choices. But we're not the source. He's not the source. We are the source. And those beings have rebelled against him. And so the first aspect is to choose to love God by acknowledging his holiness as good. And out of that, recognizing 
how much we need the mercy of God, which is his love shown to us in his outpoured atoning sacrifice on the cross. It was a reality before the world was created and was a message that was preached from the very time man started with Adam and Eve. That message has always been there, that there is one God and that he is, has the power to forgive and that we can call on him to have mercy on us and forgive us. And he has the power to forgive us if we truly are genuine in our heart's desire to forsake those things we're holding on to that are in rebellion against him. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't grievous. If we're really born of the Spirit of God, we don't look and get focused on the commandments. That was the trap that the children of Israel fell into. They got focused on the commandments, the law. Instead of on the one that had given it, did God command them to love the Ten Commandments or to love him? He commanded them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and mind and being because when you got your focus on him and you're loving him and you're recognizing that his holiness is good and his commandments are good and that his mercy is so great to be able to forgive us, then you can keep those commandments and see them as a delight to keep. But if you have the mindset of Cain that became unthankful and offered a wrong sacrifice to God because he perceived him as an ultimate power that needed to receive some kind of appeasement or some kind of sacrifice to make him acceptable, that's an idolatrous perception of God. So it's the genuine fear of God first in receiving the integrity of his love and out of that then being able to receive the mercy of his love that allows us to rightly perceive his commandments so that we do not look at the commandments in the Old Testament as something that is only old and of the past but also very new because it is still true that we fulfill those Ten Commandments out of not focusing on performance by focusing on the commandment itself, but rather delighting in God and out of delighting in God, keeping those commandments. His commandments aren't grievous. And it's only when we genuinely love God that we can genuinely love one another. There's lots of counterfeit love. It says in 1 John, and at the beginning of this book, it says if, that we cannot love God. It says, if, the verse I'm trying to remember it and just quote it, it says, if we love, if we keep his, it says, if we love God, and keep his commandments. But then it goes on to say, if any man, if, if that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, 
the pride of life are not of the Father, but of the world. But if, but if any man love God, then there's not that in them, that desire to be manipulated by the temporal things of this world. I'm, I'm sorry I miss. I thought I could remember that first, but it, it didn't come to my mind exactly as I wanted it wanted it to so I could turn to it here in first John I will probably do that just turn to it in first John and go from Jude here to first John um, it's it's a, a verse that I normally um, have been able to remember but it's easy for me to turn to first John and go to it so here we are in first John I'm just going to turn to it First John, chapter 1, I believe. And what do we read in First John, chapter 1? First John, chapter 2. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's what God is wanting us to enter into is a relationship with him where because we love the Father we and we don't love the world, the love of God is in us. And when the love of God is in us, we're able then to truly, genuinely love one another. We go on here. And we read, for whosoever is born of God or brought forth of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Our faith. That word is pistis, which basically means moral persuasion in, obviously, God. Moral persuasion in who God is and the two aspects that I mentioned. And when you have a moral persuasion like that, it's not just an intellectual assent. It's a turning of the heart from a state of rebellion to a state of surrender. And it's represented in a fist turning to an open hand, as I mentioned. And when there is that receptivity of reverence and of love for God, it allows for you to reciprocate in fellowship with God. So the Spirit starts dwelling within you and enlarging and enlarging and the presence of God begins to fill you as you have a life of prayer. <clears throat> so, the victory that overcomes the world is that state of being in us and learning how to build that state of being in us. It says in another scripture, that 
Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may grow up into him in all things. It's not the feeling. It's the moral persuasion. It's allowing a deep rooting in your inner being of moral persuasion in God that involves the turning of the heart, the circumcision of the heart, so to speak. I mean, what is circumcision a symbol of? It's also a symbol of becoming a new creation in God, of being born again of the Spirit. Because the state of your being before you're born again is that your spirit, which is the worship capacity of your being, is worshiping your consciousness, which is your soul. It involves mind, emotion, and will, but the main part of the meaning of soul is your own consciousness. And so when you are worshiping your own soul or your own consciousness, that is a state of pride. That is a state of self-worship that is like a fist. And what does it take to circumcise that enclosure of your spirit from worshiping your soul so that it's released from the enclosure of your soul to worship God? It takes a sharp instrument like a two-edged sword, which represents the two aspects of the being of God. First, the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, and also the mercy of his love, which is his grace as well. And that is what circumcises our heart. It's a deep turning that results in this state of being, which is a state of selflessness. It is a state that is described in Romans. It says, how is boasting excluded? It is excluded by the law of faith. And the law of faith is moral persuasion, a state of being that is in a state of selflessness because it's not trusting in self, but rather in the ultimate source of trustworthiness, which could only be in this ultimate perfection of love. If you trust in any other being, you will be aware of a state of corruption and not be able to fully trust. And if you try to crucify yourself, you can't because there's always one hand going to be free. The only way you can die to self is by moral persuasion in God. That's what overcomes the world. And it requires that your spirit opens up to receive the Spirit of God and acknowledge that you cannot overcome in your own strength. You cry out and you say, God, I'm too weak. This temptation is too strong. Take the desire away, please. I call on you to deliver me from this. Then his spirit comes in. And that state of deception in your being that is a state of corruption, is swallowed up with the life of God that replaces that emptiness that is always after a temporal fulfillment that is a lying vanity. As it says in Jonah, those that observe lying vanities, lying vanities, <coughs> forsake their own mercy. So whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And it is this moral persuasion in who God is that overcomes the world because it allows the Spirit of God to dwell in us and he that dwells in us is greater than he that dwells in the world. And God is calling us in this hour to enter in to victory in our lives where we know what it is to love holiness 
because holiness is purity. And in that holiness, in a relationship with God, is wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. Wholeness comes out of loving God in his holiness and embracing a life that is holy. You mean I can't have any sexual pleasure? I can't have any pleasures of this world anymore? Yes, God gives us all good things to enjoy once they are in control and in submission to God so that we are not in a grasping state of being like a black hole in outer space, grasping, grasping for the temporal. We come to a place where we only learn to receive what we know God is giving us and to wait for what he gives us instead of the enemy tempting us and saying, you can have this. You, you can't wait that long. God will make you wait the rest of your life. You'll never have this experience of this temporal pleasure. Look at me. I'm still single and I'm 74 and I still want a wife. And it's not wrong to have that desire and that natural drive. But I have, maybe with me, it's taken years to be broken in in that area of my life. But as I continue to abide in him, that is undone. And I come to a place where I'm broken in like a horse is broken in and accepts the rider. And then we come into wholeness and liberty and freedom. As it says, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You come into greater realms of freedom and of liberty and of fulfillment and of the life of God that is the only thing that fully satisfies your being. <clears throat> my i can tell you i could go on and preach for a long time here and i could lose track of time so i have to be cautious of what i'm doing here as far as time goes as well because videos can only go for so long Those that believe that Jesus is the one and only, it says here, who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. To believe that Jesus is the expression of God is to believe that he is the perfect expression of God because anything less would not be the expression of God because God is totally perfect. And Jesus is the full expression of the being of the love of God he is fully God. He is equally God. He is the aspect of God that is so great that it can communicate with the creation and the creation realm and experience it, etc., etc. And he came and he died on the cross and rose again and conquered death for you and corruption so that you could be forgiven and cleansed. And I could go on sharing in this passage, but I'm wondering about the time here but I'm going to continue on. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. <clears throat> what is saying here is that Jesus Christ came into this world. First of all, it's saying that he came into this world physically and that his body consisted of real blood and water. But it's saying more than that. It's saying that he came into this world by water in the sense of water baptism 
Thus it be, he said, thus it behoveth us to fulfill all righteousness to John the Baptist. And he was water baptized, not because he needed to repent, but it was a symbol of him entering into separation from all that would misrepresent his people. It was a symbol of him being the word that can cleanse us, which he is. Because the word word means expression, which is another word for the word son. So he is cleansing us by him being the word to us. So he comes as water, which is representative of the word many, in many places in the scripture. Water represents the word of God because when you hear the word of God, it makes you aware of what is corrupt in your life so that you can repent and be cleansed of it. So it's like water. It, it washes away. Water represents baptism. It means turning, turning away from what you suddenly, now you see it for what it is and you see how empty and useless this bait is that the enemy's put before you so it no longer has a hold on you. So he came by water and he came by blood. His blood was outpoured unto death on the cross by water and by blood. And the Spirit of God bears witness because the Spirit of God is reality. It bears witness to what is real. It bears witness to the fact that this is real. That God could come and become a perfect atoning sacrifice and cause you to enter in to Christ who made a way for you to, as it were, cross the Red Sea like Moses went before the children of Israel. He entered into the water and you entered into a baptism when you went through the Red Sea. A baptism that separated you from Egypt, which is representative of the loves of the world. And you came into a baptism or an immersion. The word baptism means to be saturated in your being, like dye saturates a garment so it changes you. You are, <coughs> When your being is truly turned from the depths of your heart to see something for what it is, and you, you're just shocked and you, you repent, it, it, your being becomes like a sponge. It wants to just receive what it should have received and didn't receive in the past and recognizes now this is what's really good and it's saturated like a sponge and in that there's transformation. Your being is being saturated with God. You're receptive to his spirit. It is the spirit that bears witness because the spirit is reality. It is truth. It's bearing witness. And I could go on and talk and talk and this would be a long message, but I want to touch on what I received of the other chapter today and not go for a really long time on this chapter. The other chapter that went with this chapter is Jude. And in Jude, we read this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith 
which was once delivered unto the saints. And I've explained what faith is. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to mention something about this. There are people that come into the gatherings of believers, genuine believers, that are counterfeits. I've experienced it in my life. I was in a Pentecostal church years ago where there's a fellow, he came to all the meetings, he sang the songs, you couldn't tell any difference. He invites me over to his house, and I was shocked. The whole house was filled with magazines, literally up to my chest in many places, so that there was hardly any place to walk in the whole house. Piles of magazines, all pornographic magazines. I said, how can you as a Christian have all this in your house? So that I can't even walk around, you get magazines filling up the whole house. Stacks and stacks, there's no place to walk. And it's all pornographic. He says, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Come on. You're in bondage to the manipulative bait of the enemy. There was another time when that same Pentecostal church, I was invited to another guy's place. And he had these fish bowls, quite big, and one enormous fish in each bowl that filled up the whole bowl so there was hardly any water for the fish to float in it was sitting there in water though with its mouth going up and down it had enormous mouths and they were surrounding the whole room like this I was looking all around the whole room and he's going to a church and I'm saying what's wrong with I mean this is insanity you see we need to be aware of people that can creep into our midst whose lives are ungodly and will, will say, oh, it's okay. You can be in bondage to the temporal baits of this world. No, you can't. God calls us to live a holy life. Do I have struggles with temptation in the flesh and my imagination? I sure do. I'm very human. Even now, at my, at my present age, I have fallen many times in my sleep and my imagination, desiring a wife and all of that. But I genuinely repent when that has happened. Genuinely repent. And genuinely have a determination never to let it happen, so it's rare that it's happened. But how many times I have deceived myself and had to repent. It says in the word of God, though a righteous man falls seven times, yet will he arise. It says, Blessed is the man to whom, unto whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. When we have a genuine love relationship with God, we should never lose faith in the fact that God can forgive us even if we fall seven times over an issue or more. Christ expected the disciples to forgive those even if they sinned against them 70 times seven. But if we're not willing to forgive them, then we don't know the mercy of God in our own lives. If people are genuine in their repentance, if you have a motive to think, well, God will always forgive me, so I'll just be able to do it and get away with it, that right there means you, you haven't repented. 
and you're in, you remain in your sin and under the judgment of God. But when there's genuine repentance, there's genuine desire to even take the steps to change. And it says if your right hand offend you, you're to cut it off. If something becomes overpowering in your life, the only way to overcome it is to cut it off. Ask God to take away the desire. Take steps to not expose yourself to those things that can be used to destroy your life. We go on. And there's a warning that we can lose our salvation in this passage. It says here, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, <coughs> afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own Habitation he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. And we go on. But here's the answer. I'm going to skip all of what are the characteristics of the ungodly. It describes them here. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because it gives them an advantage. They want to identify with certain people to make themselves look good and to get attention and whatever else they can get out of it, trying to get gain, material gain, by being religious with religious people. Yes, there are those who have motives that are wrong. But what is the answer to all of this? Beloved, but ye, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the spirit, but, but, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That is the key. Building up your faith. The faith that started when you were first born again needs to be exercised. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in it, in him, it says in the word. You're abiding in this relationship. You're reciprocating. That requires time. Seeking God in prayer. Seeking God in his word. So that his presence increases in you. So that you can feel the emptiness of the things that draw towards death. And you can't stand that empty feeling. You love the feeling of inner fulfillment, of true satisfaction, which is the Spirit drawing you in the paths of life to come aside and to pray. Don't get so caught up in busyness, even if it's busyness to serve people in the church, if that's all it is. And the Spirit is calling you to draw into a place of 
intimacy with God in prayer and you neglect that for busyness, you're losing out greatly with satisfaction in your inner being and eternal inheritance. So now I want to just touch on what I received throughout the week by the casting of Lot. I remember when I received on Monday Galatians 6 and I was reading Ruth chapter 2 that suddenly God touched me so deeply that I broke into tears when I was reading it. I didn't expect that to happen. It surprised me that I broke into tears. I, my heart was just deeply touched when I read this about Ruth. She's been told to go before Boaz. And I always was thinking, well, Lord, maybe you're going to give me a... You seemed to double, triple confirm to me one time in my life you would give me a young wife, and it would be like Boaz and Ruth. And this was confirmed with two other brothers, as well as casting Lot three times and getting Ruth three times in a row. So I don't know about that. I'm not saying I'm putting my hope in anything. Whatever God does, he does. But this is what it says here. I was reading this. And it, so she's been told by Naomi that Boaz is a close relative and go work in his field. And so this is what happens. Her first day at work. <coughs> then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my... First of all, the people are mentioning, Oh, we got the Moabitess uh, working in her field. And Boaz, which is older than her, Hearest thou not my daughter, Go not to glean in another field, Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go on to the vessels and drink of that which, is, which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto my mother. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and are come unto a people which thou knewest not hitherto for. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. For thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And we know what happened. Eventually, Boaz married Ruth, and through Ruth and Boaz, eventually came the lineage of Christ, uh, <laughs> came King David, and, and all that godly lineage that resulted in eventually Jesus Christ coming into the world. And there are many. There may be hearing this message, and you may feel very unworthy. 
because of the things you've done in your past. You may feel like God can't forgive you, but he will. There are many of you, you've been on the verge of suicide because you just feel like you, you're just garbage and you've lived such a terrible life. And God is saying, don't take your life. You've been oppressed. You've been depressed. What will break the oppression is when you call on the name of the Lord, like Ruth did, in utter awe of whose presence you're in, the God of Israel. When you call on his name, Yahweh the Almighty, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he will come with his spirit into your life and break that depression out of your life. He's calling you. He's calling the body of Christ to return to the genuine fear of God, to break up your fallow ground, to have a soft heart before his presence like Ruth did. He's calling you to come back to your first love. It is time to awaken and never go back to being the church the way it was. I cannot preach for much longer. I just cannot. The other part of this was Galatians 6. <coughs> As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And of course, that's what Boaz did to Ruth. You see how large a letter I've written unto you. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And I already explained to you the circumcision of the heart. Circumcise your hearts, brother and sisters, and come back to the first love of Christ. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. Now, I can only briefly touch on the other passages I received this week. <coughs> I received Ephesians 3 and Jonah 4, and the common theme in these two chapters is the grace of God, because Jonah did not wish to seek God's mercy upon the people of Nineveh. He fell short of the grace of God. Are we going to be like Jonah? Or are we going to come out and shine as lights and show and tell people the good news that they can be saved? Or are we going to run away and live our own life like Jonah tried to do? Ended up being swallowed by the whale. But God still had mercy on Jonah and the whale. And yet I don't know why he didn't get it. To, to rejoice that Nineveh turned back from <laughs> to God. It's amazing that the king of Nineveh commanded everyone, including animals, to abstain from all food and liquid 
for three days in fasting and prayer and to turn mightily unto God this wicked sea. <laughs> turn to God more than any nation or city in this hour would even come close to turning to God. And yet Jonah feels like he foretold and told all these people that their city was going to be judged and now it's not and it makes him look bad. I don't know what was all in his mind. But God causes this little plant to grow up. He's looking to see if God's still going to change his mind because he's saying, God, I'm really angry. I want you to judge them. They are so evil. What they've done is so evil that they did to our people. That's so evil. We can't forgive them, God. Even after God showed mercy to him to allow him to come and give that message to them that they might turn to God and God causes a little plant to grow up and it grows really fast and makes a shade for, for uh, Jonah. And Jonah was so grateful for that shade. And then God caused a heat and east wind to destroy it. And he said, Jonah, you had mercy on that little plant and allowed it to grow. And it became a blessing to you. Why can't you show mercy to Nineveh? These people don't know their right hand from their left. Oh, may we be those that are filled with the love of Christ, that are filled with his grace, that do not allow ourselves to fall short of the grace of God. And of course, Ephesians talks about the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to Paul. And I can't go on sharing all of this. I would have. I was called to do a long message, but I, videos can't go on forever. But it's all about the grace of Christ. I would love to read it, continue to preach, but I'm just touching on these for time. On December the 27th, I received 2 Corinthians 9 and Mark 15, and it wasn't enough, so I asked for Philippians 2, and both of these chapters are about sacrificial giving. Additionally, Philippians 2 emphasizes having the mind of Christ, which is out of this pure motivation of agape love. So this is about giving thighs and all of that in 2 Corinthians. And then in Mark, Christ is freely giving his life. And it says... In Mark 10 also, freely ye have received, freely give. Freely ye have received, freely give. And so in Philippians 2, Christ freely gave of his life and didn't consider it robbery. Tumble himself, as he did, to come into a manger at this time of the year we celebrate, have celebrated Christmas. Made himself of no reputation. He's asking us to have the same mind. Thursday, blaming God for allowing difficult circumstances of what breeds corruption that results in God's judgment instead of deliverance and provision. To overcome, we must live a life that is holy and not overcome by the over-desires of the temporal. This is what brings the grace of God into our lives and genuine love for God and one another. And this is very interesting because it's about the manna that rain from heaven. And what happened 
with the manna is that they, the Lord said he was going to test them with the manna to see if they would love him with all their heart. And what did they do with the manna? They kind of got a bit bored with it, even though it tasted nice. And they were commanded not to leave any of it, to eat all of it, and they didn't eat all of it. And so Moses was very angry with them because it became corrupt when they didn't eat it. And God is saying something from this. He's saying the tendency for us and our walk with God to become stale instead of fresh in a first love relationship is always there. And the way we overcome it is not by failing to continue because sometimes it feels stale. We continue even in a relationship with a wife, even if we don't feel the feelings to still choose to love her, despite the feelings, because that means we're coming into a greater enlargement of love when we don't have the feelings. When you do exercise, pressure causes enlargement of the muscles. So there are times when we're not going to feel the love. And God is calling us. And one likened a love relationship in marriage to a husband and wife is to dancing. And when you dance, you, you twirl kind of and you're holding each other's hands and you pull a wave with a transcifical force and then you come together. And the pulling away is needed to bring you into a greater coming together because when you pull away, then there's the force that pulls you in all the more as you're spinning around. And so it is in our love relationship with God and with our wife that God wants that relationship to be fresh and the way we have an ever fresh first love relationship with Christ is to never allow ourselves to say the manna is boring I'm getting tired of it. No. We learn all the more to make it into many different types of things. You see, when there's creativity, you can make that manna into many different kinds of things. But if you lose your creativity and you begin to have a mindset that is stale and fixed and fossilizing, you lose your creativity and you don't know how to make that manna which represents the word of God into other things that are even more fulfilling. So God wants to restore creativity to the body of Christ by teaching us the ways of God like this song said, we must walk in his ways. And his ways are always drawing us towards life. And when you feel emptiness, in your relationship with your wife, in your relationship with God, you still persevere. You still choose to ask God to show you his way when you can't seem to find it, the way that brings greater enlargement into that river that's so satisfying that we can know in our inner being, which is only there as we live a holy life. And God is wanting to teach us his ways so that we don't become corrupted like the manna became corrupted when they failed to keep the Sabbath. Why did they <coughs> fail? 
they weren't supposed to gather manna on the Sabbath. And they did, and they were severely judged, those that tried to do it. God was very angry at that. Because what does the word Sabbath mean? It means cessation. Why, why is cessation so important? God rested on the seventh day. He ceased. He enjoyed what he made. He experienced the enjoyment. What this speaks of is we have a tendency in the temporal things of this world to want to find our fulfillment in, like for example, I'll stay up late at night, trying to get a website perfect in its design. Right now I've had a problem with, I'm trying to get a marquee working within this system to make an incredibly beautiful website so I can improve my websites. And then I know the buzzer's gone off and it's my time for prayer. And I'm so caught up in what I'm doing, I ignore my time of prayer. And then I am repenting, Lord, forgive me, I won't do it again. You see what's happened? That's becoming too important. I haven't learned to let go of it and recognize that God's more important. Sabbath is for learning not to be idolatrous towards the loves of Egypt and of the world, but to always be in that place of baptism through the Red Sea into the place of entering into greater habitation with God into the promised land. And he's calling us as his people to enter into that. So that's what happened here, and, and this is related to First Peter. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect a person judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now this is a long message, I know it. <coughs> but I'm almost done. Friday, both of these chapters describe God's special visitation and habitation with his people. I don't know if I underline it. Yeah, here it is. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his, his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. <coughs> it was probably the universe under his feet. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hands. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And basically what happens here is Moses is told to stay up there and the others are told to stay further back and, and then Moses ends up being up there 40 days and what happens? They made a golden calf. How could they that were in the presence of God have fallen to such a state? Aaron was right there, he saw God. Did God the Father know he was going to do that? I'm sure he did. 
but this was probably God the Son limiting himself in the time-space realm when he could choose to know it if he wanted to, but he chose not to, possibly. So that was probably Jesus the Son that was sitting on that throne there. And so this is what it's described here. And of course, and here we have King David preparing the temple of God. And he has an amazing prayer here, and I can't go into it for time. But the people rejoiced, for they offered willingly, because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David the Bless the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, which is Yahweh, the Almighty's of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great or to give strength, and to give strength unto all. And he goes on and prays an amazing prayer. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. What an amazing statement. Oh, that we would recognize in our giving ourselves unto God that we're only giving of what he's already given us. It is him that has given us our life and everything we own in our life. <coughs> For we are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding, O Lord our God. All this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. And so he goes on, and I think I'll leave it there and close with that. And of course, I, I mentioned the message today. So thank you for listening to this message, and may it be a blessing and bring forth true awakening and reformation in the body of Christ to fulfill John 17 in these last days and the restitution of all things mentioned, I believe, in Acts 4.12. Thank you. <clears throat>